Father, we thank you for this opportunity of meeting together, and we thank you for your word. Lord, in the busyness of life, uh, the struggles and strains that we all face, Lord, we, we just need to keep being brought back to what you've said to us. And so we pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts, uh, give us uh, comfort this morning, give us challenge that you may lead us on in this year of 2010. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. What, what is the purpose of Charlotte Baptist Chapel? We have lots of activities. In fact, if we put the PowerPoint up there, uh, the next picture you see, I don't know if you've seen this graphic of all these activities. We gather on Sunday morning and evening. We gather throughout the week. There are youth meetings, women's meetings, men's meetings, small group meetings, Christianity Explore courses, glad you asked, missionary committee meetings, uniform meetings. You name it, we've got a meeting for it. Sports, all sorts of things that go on week in and week out as a church. And, and my question is this, what is the purpose of it all? What is the business of the church in the world? Are we in the self-help business? Are we in the therapy business? Are we in the get-rich-quick business? Uh, are we in the dispenser of religious services business, the hatch, match, and dispatch business? Are we the social justice business? Are we the museum of old buildings business? Uh, apparently, this is a fascinating building because it's a steel construction on the inside, apparently. It's a fascinating building. Maybe we, our job is just to keep this open for people to come and architects to come and see it. What are we about? Well, the great thing is that we don't need to come up with this ourselves. Uh, someone has already decided it for us. And we have a purpose statement for the Christian church at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And so can I encourage you to open your Bibles to page 1001. Page 1001 in the church Bibles. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And we'll read from verse 16. And I think we will see that, the, that we are called to be in the discipleship business. So just check with me, will you? As I read Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There are lots of statements there in verse 19 and 20. Lots of apparent commands, but there's actually only one command and it's there, it's quite uh, clear in the original language. It's there in verse 19. It is to make disciples. That's the main command here. And the other statements all fit around that one command to make disciples. As you go, make disciples. Make disciples 
of all nations. Make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Make disciples by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Here is the final command of Jesus to his disciples in Matthew's gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Now my guess is is that uh, if you've been a Christian for many years, this is not new news to you. And it's tempting just to switch off. There is a peculiar type of person that always wants to discover some deeper truth when in fact our greatest need often is simply to get on with obeying what we already know. Are our lives shaped by this great commission, the King's Commission? Is that what we think church is about? Indeed, is this what we think our lives are all about? And I've picked these uh, verses as our motto verses for 2010 because I fear there's a danger in a large historic church like Charlotte that we forget our purpose. Things can just keep rolling on because, well, we've done them for so long and we can almost forget why on earth we do them. And instead we just focus on programs and committee meetings and, and, and we're busy, but we forget why on earth we ever started this busyness anyway. In fact, it's so tiring just to run meetings uh, that in our tiredness we can neglect to just ask the question, are we fulfilling this calling to make disciples of, of all nations? And that's what I want this text to do for us in our lives and for us as a church, that it would be reforming us and challenging us and shaping us for this year of, of 2010. And uh, last year I suggested there were three little hook words to help us think about what we're about, reach, build, send. And I want to try and show you some justification of how the Great Commission links to those words today as well. That if we get the Great Commission, the King's Commission, if we live our lives with gospel intentionality, then we will be reaching out with the gospel. We will be building people up with the gospel, and we will be sending people out with the gospel. So notice with me that this is at the end of Matthew's account of, of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is, this is stunning insight. You have to go to theological college to, to get this sort of insight. But notice with me, it's the end of, of Matthew's account. Matthew is one of the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus, a former tax collector in, in the first century. And he wrote an historical account of, of, of this man from Nazareth. And Matthew starts by showing us that Jesus came in fulfillment of the Old Testament Jewish scriptures. We read many of them only a few weeks ago. And then he gives an account of the birth of Jesus and then the remarkable life of Jesus. His um, ability to heal diseases, to do incredible miracles. He records his authoritative teaching. And then he tells us about the death of Jesus, his crucifixion. And then incredibly, after his burial, his resurrection from the death. And, and that's the news he wanted to communicate to us. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but... Uh, as you watch the news, as you watch the TV, maybe Sky News or BBC, uh, they first of all tell you what has happened, and then they uh, turn to some news analysts, don't they? And they say, well, what does this event mean? We're running out of salt. What does this mean? Well, we won't be able to salt the road so much. It's going to be very slippy. Oh, that's great analysis. Thank you for that. 
And that's what they do, don't they? They turn from the news to analysis. How should we respond to this news? Uh, uh, where, where can we go and get help? Uh, what's the significance? Well, I think that's exactly what Matthew is doing as he records these final words of Jesus upon the earth. And if you like three-point sermons, I've got three points this morning. Firstly, the great authority of Jesus in verse 18. The great authority of Jesus. Secondly, the great commission of Jesus in verse 19. And thirdly, the great promise of Jesus in verse 20. So what's the, the significance of the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus? Well, there it is in verse 18. He has great authority. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What an extraordinary statement. What a thing to claim. The general election campaign seems to uh, have started, although it's not officially started, but we're on, well on our way, it seems. And uh, even though we're a small and not that significant island these days in the world, yet it is quite a big deal. Who we, as a British electorate, are going to decide will have the authority to form a government, who will have the authority to be the prime minister and lead this nation forward for the next sort of four to five years. Well, look at the claim of authority here. It's far greater, isn't it? It's not just the mandate over the British Isles. All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. What an extraordinary claim. Thirty times in Matthew's gospel, if you'd read from the beginning, you'd come across this phrase that, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And by the time we get to these verses in Matthew, it's clear that he's identifying himself as the one spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. So why don't you keep your finger in Matthew 28 and turn back to Daniel chapter 7. That's page 892. Page 892. Daniel chapter 7, verse... 13, page 892 in the Church Bibles. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, a name for God. He approached the Ancient of Days, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And over and over again, Jesus refers to himself in Matthew's gospel as the Son of Man. This is what Jesus means when he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is what we mean when we say Jesus Christ is Lord. It is an incredible claim. It is saying that this is his world. God has given it to him. He owns it. 
He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's setting up an everlasting and indestructible kingdom. Now, how should we respond to such an extraordinary claim of complete authority? Well, if what Jesus says is true, then the only sane response is to recognize his rightful rule over our lives. We need to repent of ignoring Jesus. We need to repent of the ways that we've been rebelling against his authority. And we need to turn from our self-rule and receive his forgiveness and submit our lives under him, shouldn't we? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Because there's a day coming when both the living and the dead will be raised before him as judge to give account for their lives. And on that day, unforgiven sinners and rebels will be judged and face eternal punishment. While those who've recognized his lordship and received his forgiveness will enter into eternal joy of the new heavens and the new earth. See, the the wise response to one who's been given all authority in heaven on earth is to submit to him as Lord and to obey him. Jesus calls on us to recognize, of course, the legitimate uh, rule and authority of governments. Uh, We as Christians seek to obey the government. We seek to obey the laws of the land and, and listen to the police and the law courts. And yet, and also pay our taxes as well. That's a good way of doing it too. And yet we know that their authority is not ultimate. Jesus is the one that we ultimately obey and honor. And when we really get this, we will understand that Jesus is the one who really owns the hospital we work in, or the school, or our workplace, or our city, or our country. It's not legislation that uh, rules us, ultimately. It's not the BBC or political correctness. It's not the law courts, even. that have final authority. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He who is the glorious Son of Man. Now when we get how big Jesus is, when when we set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts and in our lives, it kind of changes everything. Because the authority of Jesus uh, has a logical response. And it's there in verse 19. The great authority of Jesus uh, steps then into the, the great commission of Jesus. And it's all there in the word therefore. Because all authority has been given to Jesus. Because he's the universal king and lord. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, a universal lord should be universally recognized. He's not just merely king of the Jews, he's king of the nations. And so all nations must hear and be given this opportunity to respond to his lordship. There is no part of the world where Jesus is not lord. Uh, Whether you sail into the Firth of Forth, he's the lord of Fife and the Lothians and and, and the lord of Edinburgh. If If you paddle up the Ganges, he's the lord there. If you paddle up the Amazon and get off the boat there, he's lord there. There is no place where he's not lord. And while we respect people of, of different faiths and religions, we know that ultimately, because of the claims of Christ, while we want to honor them as people, we have to say that, that all other religions are false hopes. That all other philosophies are ultimately bankrupt and useless because there, uh, there is salvation in no one else, it says. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's why as Christians and as a church, we must have a global vision to see the gospel spread, not just here in Edinburgh, but throughout the world. Christ's call is to us as a church is to reach the world with his gospel, to reach out. Now, how do the disciples respond to this? Well, you can read it in the book of Acts, can't you? Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they start proclaiming that he is Lord in Jerusalem and calling on people to repent and believe the good news. But it's not just apostles. The disciples were scattered through persecution. And as they went, they sort of gossiped the gospel wherever they went as they spread. And uh, others heard and believed. And the gospel baton has been, as it were, passed on down from those apostles uh, in uh, Jerusalem, passed all the way down to the centuries, down geographically, until somebody, if you're a Christian here today, somebody shared the gospel with you. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's an unbroken line from the gospel commission to the disciples that they were faithful to, and, and, and they told somebody who 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 told you the good news about Jesus being Lord of all, the Savior of all who will trust him. Isn't that amazing? And the baton has come to us. In our generation, um, I think there are lots of different ways that we can be involved in reaching out with the gospel. And if you want to come tonight, I want to share more practically uh, about some of those ways. I think sometimes we get very uptight uh, and think, well, if we can't outline the whole gospel, if I can't you know, give a good summary of Genesis to Revelation, I really better not say anything. We get very tongue-tied and, and, and it just becomes a, just a wretched experience as we think, I've got to get this all out somehow. And, and I think we put ourselves into lots of uh, unnecessary uh, pressure and tension in that. I want to share tonight different ways that we can be involved in reaching out with the gospel. But it must start with prayer, mustn't it? That's why we have a week of prayer. Uh, to, to, to help us think about the year ahead, to seek God's grace for this city and this nation, for our friends, for this church. And I want to say to you that, that having prayed, we should just be looking for opportunities just to tell people anything we know about Jesus. It doesn't have to be the whole shebang, every doctrinal truth that's ever been put into your head. Tell people anything you know about Jesus and want to invite them along to some event where they can hear the gospel explained. A few years ago in Spokane, uh, we encouraged the congregation to think about three words with regard to reaching out with the gospel. And these were the words, find, tell, bring. Find, tell, bring. Find non-Christians around you. It's not hard in Edinburgh. And, uh, you know, pray. Pray if you're not sure you've got a non-Christian around you. Lord will open your eyes. And uh, pray for an opportunity. And, and just an opportunity to tell them anything about Jesus and the gospel. Just talk about what Jesus means to your life. Anything. And then, why don't you invite them, bring them to an event. There's lots of events coming up this year where you can hear the gospel explained. Um, we've heard about the men's meeting coming up uh, with uh, the Kung Fu champion. I'm not sure he's going to teach us any moves, but we're going to hear about... God's work in his life, but that, that, that would be a, an interesting event to bring some blokes along to. Find, tell, bring. 
Shelby uh, was a lady who looked very successful to those who worked with her. She was the senior manager of a large law firm in Spokane. And yet, really, the truth was she was struggling. At home, she was really getting by, relying on alcohol and prescription painkillers. She'd ran up huge debts on her credit cards as she tried retail therapy just to make her life feel better, but nothing seemed to help. She tried new age courses. She tried almost everything, but nothing seemed to help. And no one knew that at work. They just saw a very successful lady who was uh, earning a three-figure salary and looking as if life was great. Her boss, Sean, was the CEO of the law firm and a Christian, a member at uh, Christ the Redeemer. And when we started a a, a lunchtime Bible talk midweek, he started going around some of the cubicles uh, around his law firm uh, each Wednesday before the Bible lunchtime talk and say, hey, I'm off to hear a, a little Bible talk at lunchtime. Do you want to come with me? And he popped by Shelby's cubicle regularly, week by week. She kept coming up with more excuses why she couldn't do it. She eventually ran out of excuses and exasperation. She said, okay, I'll come with you. She'd sort of have a lapsed Catholic background, no real faith. And she came along and she had never heard anything like it. She opened the Bible for the first time in decades and read Mark's gospel, heard something about Jesus and, 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 and her attention was gripped. This was something like she'd never heard before. And she was invited to go on to Christianity Explored. And she she came along to Christianity Explored. And after investigating, reading the scriptures, asking her questions, she came to put her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And her life began to dramatically change. Because Sean just kept bugging her. Would you like to come to Bible talk with her? Asked her over and over again, would you like to come? Found, tell, bring. She is so glad that Sean asked her. She's so glad. Now we've got some great courses for people who want to discover more about Jesus. We've got the Glad You Asked thing happening. We've got Christianity Explored. As I say, we've got this event with Tony Anthony. But, you know, as we've run the courses uh, over the years, the numbers are quite low. It's great for those who come. Now, why is that? Is it that we've lost our urgency to find people, tell them something about Jesus and bring them along? Are we just too busy as a church to have real friendships and relationships with with non-Christian people? I certainly feel that's the case for me. I've struggled to make connections. I just feel I'm very busy uh, being the pastor of this church. I've got to try and work out how to do something about that. There are hundreds of thousands of people in this city who have no clear understanding of the gospel. Isn't that right? How can we reach them? And the truth is we'll reach them one person at a time. By each one of us just just having the courage to open our mouth and say anything about Jesus. Befriend them. Care for them. Love them. Maybe in time invite them to something. They may hear the good news about Jesus. We kind of know the Great Commission, but the challenge is we get stuck somewhere, don't we? Notice with me, the Great Commission is not just about evangelism. Verse 19, he's not just commanding us to tell other people about the gospel. It's a command to disciple, isn't it? To make 
disciples. And there are two marks of discipleship that he gives you. Baptism and obedience to the teachings of Jesus. So um, how did did the apostles work this out in their ministry? What did they do? Well, they formed Christian churches. First in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 to 42 says this, that Peter preached the gospel to them, called them to repent and believe the good news. And it says this, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. People didn't get saved and then live isolated lives. Christianity knows nothing about living vital faith in the Lord Jesus that's not linked with sort of active membership in a local church. And the beginning place is baptism there. It's the beginning of discipleship. If you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, well, this is the first step of obedience to Christ. It's a mark of our allegiance to the one God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by being brought into a relationship with God, we're brought into profound unity with God's people. As it says in Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Baptism is the first step, isn't it? And then the second sign is in verse 20, obedience to Christ's teaching, all of it. Christ has communicated to his disciples what needs to be um, taught and to grow into maturity. And they are to teach that to others. And that's why we have a strong commitment to to study God's word together as a church, uh, as we teach through God's word Sunday by Sunday, as we get into small group Bible studies. It's important that we get hold of this book and its theology because Christ calls us to discipleship that seeks to obey all that he's commanded. And, and really that's caught up in the second goal of building up with the gospel. We, we desire to be a church that builds each other up in the gospel. Christian growth is the mark of discipleship. Ongoingly, each one of us should be growing day by day, week in, week out, year in, year out, as we come and grapple with God's word and are shaped by it. And we need each other. Ephesians 4 makes that clear, doesn't it? Uh, We need to speak the truth of God's word to each other in love. And that's the way that we're going to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together uh, by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And I want to encourage you to think about, as you come to church, week in, week out, to pray as you come, Lord, how can I come and encourage someone today? Give me one person that I can encourage. One conversation that can help people to trust Jesus more, help pray with them about their concerns, help people to understand more about you. Is there one way, just a conversation I can have today? Or as we go to our fellowship groups, isn't that why we gather to encourage and feed and edify one another? The call of Christ is to make disciples. So my question is, if you're a disciple, who are you discipling right now? I wonder, who is it that you're 
reading God's word with? Who are you speaking God's word into? Parents, it's quite straightforward. You've got kids to start it off with. But I wonder, are we, are we intentionally looking for ways that we can help each other understand God's word better and grow better? I wonder, in our ministries, or in our fellowship groups, I'd encourage you to think about this in the, in, the, in the coming weeks. Maybe write out, if you're a leader, the names of each person in your group and start praying about each person, thinking, well, where are they at? Where are they at in their discipleship? And how can I encourage them to grow? What can we do to move each person on? To move away from thinking about, okay, how can we do programs together? Is how can we move each other on? How can we make progress as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? And uh, Sunday after next, I hope to speak about that. Me or Rodney will speak about that as we think about uh, practically in the evening. But there's one more command here. It's than simply just growing one gospel church, isn't it? The command is to go and make disciples of all nations. It's not enough just that we gather one group here. We're to go and make disciples of, of all nations. And, and that's why our third goal is to send out with the gospel. There's the church in Antioch, enjoying the ministry of Paul and Barnabas amongst the teachers and prophets that were there. And the Spirit clearly led them to, as a church to send Paul and Barnabas out to preach and proclaim the gospel in new territories and to start new Christian churches. And that's what they did. And as Paul writes perhaps his final letter to one of his ministry trainees, Timothy, he gives him the responsibility alongside his calling to preach the word as, uh, and to pass the people. He gives them this command in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, built into this great commission is the command to make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. We're to make disciples who can make disciples. That's what Paul lays on Timothy. Just as Paul had taught Timothy from God's word and mentored him in practical ministry experience, he must now find other trustworthy men to commit the apostolic gospel to, to pass the gospel baton to them, uh, faithful men who will pass it on to others and to the next generation. And I think it is vital as a church that we continue to work out how we can be involved in sending people out. How can we equip and train so that others can go out? Actually, maybe you. Uh, by God's grace, a number of churches have started from Charlotte, and that's terrific. Um, but I think we need to keep looking at how we can do that to train, equip, resource, and send people who will plant new gospel churches here in Edinburgh and in the Lothians and Fife and Scotland and the UK and throughout the world. And maybe there'll be people here today, and the Lord's beginning to work in your heart about the thought of, of going off and planting a church. The king has given us a very clear command, hasn't he? Uh, we've got people from all sorts of different nations here. Sometimes we struggle to understand different cultures, but I think, I think we all agreed this is the king's commission, isn't it? We're not to be aimless. Is that what we think we're doing with our lives? Is this what we think we're doing with our conversations with people as we meet Sunday by Sunday, uh, as we meet in our small groups, in our clubs? Are we achieving this goal? 
Because the king has given us a very clear command to make disciples of all nations. Now, is is that something you find scary? Is that something you find overwhelming? I do. I find the thought of this church sometimes overwhelming, the number of people here. And then the needs. It's overwhelming. A scary prospect. And that's why it's so important to see in these verses this wonderful promise, the great promise of Jesus in verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew starts his gospel with this prophecy that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And by the end of the gospel, we discover that in Jesus Christ, this is the truth. As he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? It is as fresh and as real to us today as it was when Jesus first spoke it. Always to the very end of the age. Do you long for the presence of Christ in your life? Well, notice with me that it's given here in the context of the Great Commission. The truth is that the times I've felt most alive and close to Christ are when God gives me opportunities to share the gospel with people. When I'm involved in some way in helping someone to grow and mature in their faith and together uh, we, 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 we reflect on the gospel. The, the, those are often the times where I feel the sense of, of, of Christ's presence greatest. Isn't that true for you? But notice for me, the promise is not just simply reassurance of comfort. It is a promise to supply all that we need to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, once we finish Philippians, we're going to go on to the book of Exodus. And in the early chapters of Exodus... Moses is called by God at this bush that appears to be burning, but it's not burning. And uh, do you remember God calls Moses to go for him to Egypt to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And what does Moses do? Well, he's just like us, isn't he? Just comes out with a series of excuses why he's definitely not the man for the job. Maybe you're feeling the same. Moses felt inadequate. He was quite sure that he'd be ineffective. And each time God's answer was the same, he would be with Moses. He would be all that Moses needed to fulfill the task. And that's that's the nature of this promise that Jesus makes to us today. Jesus comes to us today to tell us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In our inefficiency, in our inability, he will be our sufficiency and strength as we go. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? I'm excited about knowing his presence in this year ahead, as together, as God's people, we engage making disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Father, we see this wonderful promise that you've made to us 
in your Son. And we thank you for the grace that you've given us to believe and trust the Lord Jesus. And we seek to claim this promise of your empowering presence through your Son in our lives and in our church for this year ahead. Father, we we pray that we would seek you and that we would have great joy to see all that you will accomplish in and through us as your people. And we look to you in Christ's precious name. Amen.